from Birmingham, Alabama. You're listening to the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. I'm your host, Gary Furr, and I'm so glad to have you with me today. Whether you're sitting in your favorite chair or riding along in the car, I'm glad we're going to get to spend this time together. I'm going to be sharing some selections from different uh, publications and writings that I've done. This week I'm uh, sharing with you some chapters I did for a book called Encountering God in the Prayers of Others. The beautiful folk song that you were listening to just a few moments ago was sung so wonderfully by Nancy McLemore. Uh, Nancy is a voice artist and we were in a band together for about 20 years called Shades Mountain Air, and that was always a favorite song. It's a folk song that um, was composed musically by a Methodist minister out on the West Coast a couple decades back, but the words in the text are very ancient from Ireland. It was originally titled The Soul's Desire, and it comes from Ireland in about the 12th century, nearly a thousand years ago. It was translated and put into modern English by a 19th century Irish folk scholar whose name was Eleanor Hull. She devoted her life in Ulster to translating Irish folk literature into English and other languages. She died at 75, having left a number of volumes about Irish folk life, including one in 1904 called Early Christian Ireland as part of a two-volume textbook of Irish literature. Uh, one volume she did on a saga would uh, never be surpassed on that subject, said one friend, and you won't get any argument from me since I don't have a clue what it was. This is a beautiful text that I heard, strangely enough, in a Catholic monastery out on the West Coast when I was attending a contemplative retreat, and it just grabbed my imagination, and so I uh, loved both the ancient words and the folk arrangement that had been made by this Methodist minister, and so we worked it up in our band, and it played it for over 20 years, and it says, it were my soul's desire to see the face of God, it were my soul's desire to rest in God's abode, it were my soul's desire a spirit free from gloom. It were my soul's desire, new life beyond the doom. Grant, Lord, my soul's desire, deep waves of cleansing sighs. Grant, Lord, my soul's desire from earthly cares to rise. It's almost embarrassing in its intimacy with God. Stark, emotional, 
passionate and personal, longing, desire, crying, yearning for eternal life, asking, pleading. Grant it, Lord, please grant this, my deepest plea. Amid the superficial intimacy of so much contemporary religion, particularly evangelical religion in the United States, it's kind of a hard thing to deal with, especially those of us that came from the old revival traditions. I've journeyed a long way from the revivals of my childhood. The evangelists that we had often made you feel like you were taking a shower and somebody pulled open the curtain and stood there and pointed a finger at naked you. And many of us took a religious vow somewhere along the way. I will one day get as far away from all of that as possible for the rest of my life. It could explain the popularity of the back pew in churches, as a matter of fact. Don't get too close. It's like the front row at the old Gallagher concerts where he would uh, splatter vegetables and watermelons with a hammer. You know, religious intimacy and emotion can be dangerous and scary and unpredictable because emotion bypasses the mind. It can be manipulated, and it often is. Music stirs people, and in the wrong hands, it can hurt us. And far too much religion has done exactly that. And yet, we go to the Bible and we read these embarrassing scriptures called the Psalms, with all their talk of longing for God. Spirituality can mask the dark desire for spiritual superiority or for some advantage in career or institution, but genuine longing for God can't really be thwarted. It is that restlessness for that which alone can satisfy. When I first went to college, graduate school, and started studying religion academically, I noticed a weird little paradox. I began reading very sophisticated theology and study that tended to discount and modify two very deep core truths of Christian faith. First of all, it, it had a tendency sometimes to downsize the doctrine of Christian hope. It was hard to fit a lot of what I had believed so enthusiastically as a teenager into a rational and scientific understanding of the world. And second, we found ourselves, as we learned, trying to find a more mature understanding of God that wasn't so self-centered. So talking about God blessing me and mine was less important than other things. And this is kind of a necessary passage into greater maturity. Childish faith has to give way to adult faith eventually. Dealing with suffering and mystery and disappointment and genuine intellectual issues is real. So the idea of spiritual life being about Longing and pleasure and happiness experiences looked childish and immature to me at that time. Lofty, dispassionate truths and moral principles and rationality occupied much more of my attention. Sentimentality and emotionalism was not a good thing. And who can argue with that? People's emotions get them into all kinds of trouble. So it's easy then to leap from that to a life of faith has to exclude feelings and desires, and that's the best way to go if you've got to choose. Not to mention what I learned about the doctrine of sin, which Reinhold Niebuhr said was the most 
empirically verifiable of all the Christian doctrines. Uh, this was reinforced in a lot of ways. I remember the Four Spiritual Laws by Bill Bright of Campus Crusade that used to teach us that, you know, faith and fact were good things. One was like the engine and the other was like the coal car, but at the end you had a caboose that was labeled feelings. And the formula was the first two are necessary, the third one is okay, but you can run with or without it. Unfortunately, I discovered the spiritual life isn't a train. I found this to be helpful at the time because, you know, when you're 16, 18, 20, there's a lot of sap running through the tree. Everything is more intense. Passion, longing, hate, anger, love, excitement. And you can do some pretty stupid things. You don't really have enough reason to manage yourself very well. So it helped for a while to think, God is not dependent on me feeling altogether all the time. But it is important for us to understand that truth and goodness also need beauty. It is the savoring of that which brings wonder in life. God is not only truth and goodness, but also beautiful. There is an embarrassing intimacy and longing connected in the scriptures with God. So the failure to believe is not just a defect of intellect, but a capacity to fully embrace all of life. So my suggestion is understand that your longings can be destructive. They can be misused. But the desire for the right things is the point. Meister Eckhart, the mystic, said, strip away distorted desire, but replace it with a genuine longing for the true eternal. The psalmist in 80, Psalm 84, too, says, my soul longs and faints for the courts of God. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. I once had a long conversation with a fellow who became my friend. He was a skeptic. A highly trained scientist and never one who was much for spiritual kinds of things, but he um, he was sort of sent to me by someone who said, you can go talk to this fellow, he could probably answer your questions, which wasn't true, but um, we talked for about two hours over coffee one day about all the usual things, a suffering universe and how can a good God allow things like this to happen? And what are the bases for believing in God? That sort of thing. And after we finished all of that, he said, now here, here's the question I really want to ask you. You seem like a smart fellow. Why have you wasted your life doing this? Well, I said, no one has ever asked me that before. And I had to pause for a moment and think. And, and I said, you know, all I can do is tell you my story and I began to talk about a few times when inexplicable realities had broken into my life, called me in directions I didn't expect, changed me. 
When I finished, he looked at me and smiled. He said, so you've had some numinous experiences. I know most of us would have to go look that up. But he meant a mystical experience. And I said, yeah, I guess I have to say that I have. And he said, well, I can accept that. I haven't had any myself. And we started a friendship out of that. You know, it doesn't hurt to ask questions, to use your reason, to follow truth where it goes. And you don't have to shut out the rest of who you are to do it. A theologian named Paul Tillich once described in his little book, The Dynamics of Faith, faith as uh, the state of being ultimately concerned. But he also went on to say, there's not just one part of you that is faith, your reason or your feelings. He said, faith is a centered act of the whole person. I really liked that, that there are all these avenues of human experience and they all are ways that the longings that those of us who believe think God put there can lead us into those things that make life more than we ever imagined. As we go today, I want to thank you for being with me. And we'll end our time together by listening to that song that I played you a piece of, Soul's Desire, sung by Nancy McLemore. Hope you enjoy. See you next time. my soul
my soul's desire Bright shining like the sun This still my soul's desire Whatever life affords To gain my soul's desire And see that precious face Picking Pilgrim's Progress. Thanks for joining me today. You can find my music at G-A-F-U-R-R, gafur.com, and you can go to my blog site for lots of other information and writings at garyfur.me, G-A-R-Y-F-U-R-R.me. Once again, thank you so much. Join me next time on the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress.